Welcome back to Two Nobodies, everyone. Just the one nobody again today, Rupesh here. And we have another fantastic guest who I'm going to introduce in a second. Hopefully, folks have been enjoying the other episodes that we've just been posting. And we have a lot more guests to come. So uh, our next guest today, though, really excited to welcome Callum McGibbon, who contacted us. And, and I think we're going to have a great conversation. He He's a strength conditioning coach, has trained some really elite athletes, which uh, strength conditioning coach, strength conditioning is just something that I've always been interested in, and uh, so look to talk shop about all those kind of things. But he's also an entrepreneur, and uh, excited to kind of hear about that world because that's just whenever I talk to an entrepreneur, it's just fascinating and understanding how they would have adopted those risks and how they would have moved forward with their ventures is uh, an interesting ordeal that I always admire. So Callum McGibbon, thank you so much. Welcome to Tenobodies. It's a pleasure to have you today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm grateful to be here. That's great. Uh, you're, you're in Sudbury. What took you to Sudbury? Holy moly. Um, so my now wife, we were not married at the time. Uh, we both yeah. wanted to kind of do separate vacations one summer. Uh, I was into sport bikes at the time, so I wanted to go riding. We were living in Toronto, and uh, she wanted to go out west, and I was like, I don't really feel like flying. So she went out to uh, <laughs> Vancouver to visit uh, her uncle, and I got on my yeah. sport bike, and I spent five days uh, touring around northern Ontario on my bike, just camping. Mm. And I just fell in love with northern Ontario, and I had had taste of it growing up as a kid uh, with my grandparents in Perry Sound. And uh, mm. I just really loved it. So I came back and we spent another couple of years in Toronto and then kind of started talking about moving and kind of changing, getting our careers kind of more rooted. And I did some research and it turned out at the time, uh, Sudbury had the highest average household income in the country, but it also had the okay. highest unemployment rate. <laughs> and it produced the most professional athletes per capita than any other place in Canada. Interesting. And I was training in Toronto and I was like, you know what? Yeah. Uh, I love the North. Let's go for it. Um, so we packed up and away we went. No friends, no family, no anything. And we, we started our lives up here. And now I guess I always go by my oldest daughter. So I, it's like 20 years ago now. Okay. Did you say 28? No, my oldest daughter is 20 years ago now. 20 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I always, uh, has anyone else joined you from your family or you're still kind of loners up there? No, nope, just us. We, uh, we came <laughs> up, they all come and visit, uh, obviously, yeah. but no, nobody else moved up. It was just, just us. I think everyone's scared of the cold and Sudbury, the moon and, you know, there's all these kinds of <laughs> stories because they trained for the moon here because mining was, you know, there was so much damage mm -hmm. from the mines back in yeah, the day before yeah. obviously the advanced technologies and such uh that they trained for the moon here because it was all rock and but right. i mean it's not not like that now it's beautiful and green and lakes everywhere it's gorgeous is it is there not much mining going on still in Sudbury? no there's there's lots i mean it's really kind of a a mecca for uh, innovation with respect to mining mm. um 
but uh just innovation technology right like it's it's right. all safe it's regreened it's beautiful um yeah you know what a great it's just a great beautiful place so cost yeah. of living's good yeah, I, I, I always have told people that when I, because we're, I live in Edmonton, but I'm from Ontario, born and raised in Toronto. But when we drove out to Edmonton, I always thought the best part of the drive was around the Great Lakes, like around Lake Superior, by far was, was my favorite drive in the country. Um, a little bit like, you know, it's a single lane sort of drive and it can be a little, little nerve wracking at times. But um, I just remember that drive really being beautiful. But even driving to Sudbury, especially when you're driving from Toronto into Sudbury, like the landscape just changes a little bit and it's very different, but I, I don't know anyone from Sudbury. So it's uh, good to, good to know somebody there. And, um, interesting to hear that it's, uh, I didn't know those, those features of it. Like you said, the, um, highest per capita in terms of athletes, um, coming from there and, uh, but also highest, uh, income as well. So what's, what kind of athletes are we talking about? Um, at the time, uh, it was like anyone professional, so uh, you know, being yeah. paid to play. So that would be like East Coast League, um, you know, in okay. Europe playing hockey, whatever. I, those stats have all changed now. This was 20 years ago, but uh, right. that's what drew us here, you know. And there is an incredible yeah. amount of great athletes that come out of here, um, you know. Uh, well, they've been a huge part of my, my career, right? Like, so, right. so yeah, there's a there's a lot of them that have come from here that. Uh, I've been f super fortunate enough to be a part of for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And were you an athlete yourself? No, not at all. Uh, I grew up in a, in a trailer park just outside of Barrie, Ontario. Uh, okay. and, uh, so it was really rural. Um, and because it was out of town, right? Like I didn't have access to like schoolyards or, or anything. Mm. And, uh, I, I came from, uh, uh, like a lower income, uh, situation. So I, I didn't, you know, I didn't take part in sports or do anything zero. Um, uh, you know, it was just go play on trees and stuff, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> run around and use your imagination yeah. in the bush. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but it turned out okay. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I, I mean, I kind of wonder if like creativity and you probably seen this with the athletes that you worked in, but do you find that creativity nowadays in in sports is kind of lost it's more structured like have you heard have you heard uh wayne gretzky say this about how um you know back in the day when he played and when he grew up it was you just picked up the puck and you just kind of did your thing and you figure out how to be creative because there wasn't that structure but nowadays while the athletes are just at another level the game is so much more structured and there's not i mean you have those exception those exceptional players who are just incredible with the puck but just generally the creativity has kind of gone down in in hockey but also other sports i would say uh yes but the ones that i find are like the ones that we all are in awe of are creative you know, like, uh, so I, I think it's, it, it's true that structures become part of the game, but, uh, the systems are so, and statistics and like all the things that are wrapped around professional right. sports now, like it's really hard to go against those numbers, you know, like if you just, even just looking at the NFL now, I, and this isn't my profession by any stretch, just, you know, watching mm -hmm. it, um, 
just the amount of times that you see now, like they make the call on the sideline, should we kick a, a punt? Should we punt now or not? And the stats come down, you know, like 68% of tries with this play or that, you know, result in the first, like, like statistically the game is just with the data that's around now, it's just changed so much that, you know, sometimes creativity is wrong too. Right. And, mm. and I, I just, I think that there's a, I think we've we lost a little bit of creativity, but I actually feel like the next wave is going to be like a, a blend of creativity and the systems and structures that we put in place that have elevated the level of sport to the level it is today. Like, you, you know, you could be a creative athlete today, but if if you didn't have the performance metrics that are out there right now, and and probably more importantly the genetics, uh, you know, you just you couldn't make it right like you you just need that level and you need the genetics how much have how much has um those performance metrics or the data uh been a part of the way you approach your craft um well a massive part so uh i'm a a data person so i believe in transparently showing athletes what we're doing is working and the only Mm -hmm. way to do that is to assess and reassess and assess and reassess and uh and you you really have a lot of responsibility as a coach especially you know we say in the in the we put it all on the higher ages but really i think it's it's more important to be have that structure in the younger ages because if there is any kind of potential if we're going to talk high level sport here if there Mm -hmm. is a potential then you know that's the most influential time really and uh so you could really you know waste a year and at that in major sports like a year between the ages of like 15 and 18 is like it's massive so uh uh, you can't it's it's actually probably more important further down the chain um you could probably Mm. argue it's even further more important even further down than that um like into like eights tens twelves elevens when you're really talking about building you know, long-term athlete development pathways through fundamental learning skills. And uh, so I would say that it, it's it's the thing that I've leaned on probably the most in my career is the data, you know, being very transparent. Do you, do you, do you think that, uh, like, has the, and I haven't been in touch with this in a while, but has the testing for, like, especially at the elite level um, where we're talking about athletes going to that pro level, has the testing kind of evolved for how they measure athletic performance, or do you think they're it's kind of trailing behind, or um, what does that look like? Um, I think the strength conditioning industry is kind of interesting because it's young, right? I would almost, yeah. Yeah. I would almost call it like immature professionally at times, uh, mm-hmm. where there's been times where I think that the industry was growing at such a rate and the science behind it was evolving so fast that almost too much weight was going into it uh, over mm-hmm. like play and like just the craft of sports and creativity okay yeah. yeah um and and i think that influenced testing for a, for a short time um but because the craft is very young i feel like they learned they're adapting quite quickly now to the really understanding what the value of testing is and what we actually should be testing. Um, just over the last three years, I've seen a pretty big shift in clients that I have that are in NHL with respect to what their teams have been asking them to do just in the last three years. It's changed from, mm. you know, uh, three rep 
max squats to, you know, a vertical jump test. <laughs> you know, like, what are you really trying to accomplish by getting a $5 million person to do a three rep max squat at training camp? It doesn't like, really what's tell, it tell you. you? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't tell you anything. And, and I think it, it does give you some insights, but I, I would say that the risk reward is not there and the repeatability of that is not there. So, you know, mm. a vertical jump you could do once a month all season long. And you can actually really understand what's happening to the athlete throughout the season if you have something that you can do repetitively that's not going to injure them or potentially right. make them sore, right? That would hinder performance. Mm. Whereas, you know, putting 400 pounds on someone's back and having them squat it three times, there's a risk there, you know? Absolutely. And, yeah. and it's it's not really repeatable, right? So... In, in that manner, right? Like in a hockey season, it's not really repeatable. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've seen it really shift and it, and it needs to shift further uh, to things that are repeatable, that are non-invasive, so that we can also start to understand, you know, we can tie that to uh, injuries, right? Someone gets hurt, we can be like, okay, well, mm -hmm. your vertical jump score on average is 28.5 inches. And, you know, after you've gone through this protocol and you're able to jump again, your jump now is 21 inches. So you've lost a significant amount of leg strength. So we should work on that, you know, it, over the next period so we can try to get that back up. You know, in season that would be hard, but at least the awareness is there and the structure and can be put in place in order to help that athlete get back to that level of performance mm. they had or ability they had, right? Yeah. But it needs to be yeah. a repeatable thing, right? It needs to be something that's non-invasive, that's repeatable. Yeah, no. For, I mean, you want to be able to compare those year after year or month after month or whatever that looks yeah. like. Yeah, and I think yeah. more frequent, the better. You know, the yeah. more frequent they are, the better. Yeah. It's three things: something to measure upper body, something to measure core, lower body. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. I wonder your answer to this. Um, I don't know if you know um, John. If you heard the name John Donner, he's uh, he works with uh, George St. Pierre when, or okay. I think he's still. Um, He's one of his coaches. I forget. I, this, this, I think he's a grappling coach or a jiu-jitsu coach or something like that. But anyways, um, he was on a podcast with GSP and and another grappler, and he was asked about strength conditioning and its influence on someone's uh, performance at that very high elite level. And um, and and I suspect your answer to this will be maybe it's sports specific. But what are your thoughts about like at that elite level? How much difference does strength conditioning make? to an athlete's overall performance versus something like, let's say, focusing on skill development or nutrition or... Oh, I would say at the elitist of levels, it's going to be a... Maybe a... It's, hard, it's, a, it's a hard question to answer because without having it on the way up, you most likely wouldn't have made it. So it's kind of like a pyramid, you know, like you need it in the beginning to create this massive foundation so that you have the ability to learn your craft and adapt yeah. at your craft the way the physical demands of the environment are asking you to. So if you're not physically prepared enough, right, to go to practice, then you can't learn the craft. Strength conditioning mm -hmm. isn't giving like making you a better hockey player it's or a better mm -hmm. football player, basketball, whatever. It's giving mm. you the ability to learn the craft when you get to practice at these higher and higher levels without your physical attributes getting in the way. Mm. Is that 
clear enough you know so so you need it on the way up but then when you're at the top you know it's really uh it's probably contributing fractionally at the top in in a time frame of your career maybe between let's say 24 to maybe 30 so for six years i would say it's it's a it's a very small contributor it's it's kind of keeping you at this level where you can perform at your greatest and then Mm -hmm. it starts to become more important again Mm -hmm. so as you get over the age of 30 now it starts to become a thing where it's like okay i gotta i gotta really dial in now i gotta focus and that doesn't mean you're training harder you're just doing things that your body needs in order to continue to perform with people that are younger right faster (laughs) have more energy and in the sports that's sad to say that at 30 that's the truth but that's the truth right um so you now it needs to change and you can still be just as fast as them at 34 36 but now it becomes important again so i would say it's like a you know like a mountain right like it's 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 very very big important at the at the beginning becomes not very important you know in the middle and then it becomes very important again at the end right so when you're talking about those athletes that are in their prime, so let's just say generally ages of maybe early 30s or less, what are, what are you trying to focus on from a strength conditioning perspective? If you're talking about you know their like their skills are maxed, they're at that really peak level. What's where is the tinkering focus on? The tinkering becomes individualized to the style of player, the style of game, yep. and your expectations go down to like one percent half a percent improvements because you're talking about people that are already like incredibly good at especially if you're talking about somebody like hockey who's very multi-dimensional you know game uh or athlete you know you're you're just looking at trying to make small fractional improvements to each system uh in a summer um and and the system that's most important to that particular person's style of play you know, mm. if they play a strong physical game in the corners, uh, then, you know, that's the things that you want to kind of make sure are are at their peak or you're improving, you know. And if they have a couple of weaknesses, you want to obviously work on those. But at that point, you know, you're really just focusing on what's keeping them in the game, right? And that, that style mm. that they play is what keeps them in the game. You can't train them to be somebody else. That's what they do. <laughs> You know, yeah. so you can focus on speed, but if speed's not part of their game, their success, then it's not, you know, it's, it's such a loaded thing. I could get blown up for this, but like, you yeah. know, obviously speed's relevant. If you're playing as professional sports, you have yeah, to be yeah, ridiculously yeah, yeah, yeah. fast. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying you've really got to dial in to the, the specific person's game style, right? And, yeah. and what is that and work on that. What do you, do you, do you see like, um, what's the mental approach that you see from those elite level athletes over the course of that? Like, do you see that there's less interest, uh, at certain stages, like, uh, like maybe at that prime level, but then when, as they're getting older, they're like, they know they have to put in this work to kind of maintain or hang with those younger athletes or like, what, what's the mental, do you see any general or common mental shifts over the course of an athlete's career? Um, I would say the common mental piece I see is like at the elite level is these athletes are extremely competitive and it's 
really takes a lot of awareness as a strength coach in those environments in those elite years to not fall prey to that level of competition when you're writing programming Mm. and allow that to influence what the right thing to do is Um, Mm. because you can get caught up in the fact that you're working with these genetic specimens that can just continually squat more weight bench more weight power clean more weight you know and you can get caught in that uh because it's fun to train someone that can just genetically get better every week uh right but and especially if they want to really go there too and they're pushing you that they want to push more right? yeah so, and yeah. your job is to make sure that like you kind of don't in a certain extent yeah. right like there's yeah. there's aspects that you do allow it and there's aspects that you don't fall prey to it and you maintain like the level-headedness of it and you got to try to create environments where you can fulfill this desire for them to push and be better um in a direction that makes the most sense for them currently right mm, yeah and because you got to be careful with them they'll blow themselves apart absolutely they'll do anything to be better than you know to win I guess not to be necessarily just better. that competitive, that competitiveness, the competitiveness right? inside them is just absolutely unbelievable. Like yeah. everything you take yeah. a break from a drill for five minutes and they're trying to flip a water bottle onto something there <laughs> and it's a competition. Whoever can do it first right. or like, cause they're trying to rest, but even at rest, they're trying to figure out, you know, who can throw a pile on through a rock, who can balance, throw a rock and get it to go in the top of a pylon. Like a, any way they can find a way to compete at any moment, they're doing it. <laughs> is there is there a sport that you particularly really enjoyed training? Nah, I like them all. No, okay. Nah, they're all they're all wicked. They're all cool. Yeah, they all have their yeah. own uniqueness and and thing that's. And I think I don't think it's so much the physical attribute because. I'm fortunate. I, I was a strength conditioning coach at a university for over a decade. So I, I got to work with, you know, tons of sports, right? Um, yeah. I'm lucky. And and uh, and I don't think it's necessarily the sport itself that I uh, – uh, I don't think I found a sport I wanted to work with more than the other or found more interesting than the other. Mm. What I loved about being able to see different ones is the psychology and the culture around – different sports you know mm-hmm. uh like just the athletes themselves like in that training environment what it's like to be in a training room with the rowing team as opposed to the wrestling team as opposed to the hockey team uh it was so cool to just to see the different culture that's just there within these different sports right that, and how they approach their sport how they approach training yeah there's the lives and how they approach their friends like yeah. how they approach their teammates um just such a cool that, that was such a cool uh, opportunity. I, I'm so grateful to have, have had uh, that type of stuff happen for me in my career. It's just been it's just been so neat to see that stuff. Which uh, which which university did you train at? Laurentian University. Okay, so that's where you did your. That's where you spent those, like you said, ten years or so. Yeah, I was there for. I think. Well, we left when COVID hit, so in 2020. Oh, okay. Uh, March 13th, 2020. Yeah. And. Okay. Uh, didn't go back so opened up our own yeah. facility and just, just keeps growing like a weeds and so we just didn't go back and i had another company going to and you know what i mean like i'm an i'm a pretty entrepreneurial person so i i had already yeah. had like a 
ed tech company going and yeah my i i actually own the company that was at laurentian university it was a like a, a contract so we provided the physiotherapy massage therapy services all that to the campus at large um okay and so i i own the company that did strength conditioning for varsity and all that stuff right and i oh, worked as a so strength you, you coach didn't, you didn't necessarily work for the university you were kind of sort of contracted out you had your own company going and that's you right services to learn okay. and we rented space from lu we rented i think about 1800 square feet like a physiotherapy athletic therapy clinic cool. and we provided i had a team and we provided all of those services to the school so um and it was just a wonderful time in my career i just i just loved it what a great environment and for me anyways i just i learned a ton and got to experience a lot of things and work with great athletes at the university level and and the community level and nhl and olympic teams and all kinds of stuff it was just a wonderful uh wonderful time it was really cool yeah i remember i mean i only i did i was a strength coach for the uh, men's basketball team at university of waterloo for about four or five years. But I, when you talk about the diversity and just kind of seeing the different approach, like I would see the other teams from afar because I'd be in the weight room with the basketball guys, but I'd see like the approach that like, you know, the volleyball team would be taken to their training or whatever. And every athlete was very different, right? Like my guys would, they'd go in the weight room for a little bit, but they really just wanted to hoop, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but, but the footballers, you know, they were really dedicated. They were really intense about it, right? Um, and then, yeah, even just seeing the, the male female differences between the athletes was interesting. So I can, I think I kind of understand what you're saying, but yeah, it's, it's a unique experience for sure. I used to laugh at them cause I always like, I'm always like, go, go, go. Like I want to get everything done and you know, yeah. everything's got to run on time. And so I would always laugh cause we'd be going back to the strength conditioning room to train and the basketball guys would always be waiting on the couches in front of my clinic and I'd start walking there. And I get to the back room and I'd wipe the swipe card on the door and I turn around and I'm like, where are they? And then the door would open and they're at the end of the hall. I'm like, how is the tallest guys on campus the slowest walkers? Like, <laughs> just mosey, just like such a chilled. There's a culture flow. and attitude, man. Yeah, <laughs> it was crazy yeah, for sure. And they just have such a chilled vibe, but uh, really great bunch. Just. I felt when you get them, when the you kids. get them going, though, they get they they oh, get yeah. into it. But it, it just takes some some time. But yeah, yeah, I fell in love yeah. with all of them. They were all just so great. Yeah, cool. Um, so so you said that so you was that your first sort of entrepreneurial thing then that business or no? Uh, I owned a health food store too. Uh, my wife and I okay. opened up a health food store. We ran that, um, and uh, and then for the health food store, we opened up a training company. And the training company grew to be the company that provided all of those services to Laurentian University. Um, mm. And then I opened up an ad tech company uh, as well. So I've had three yep. companies and like some, uh, like I had a charity organization going for a while too. And um, so, yeah, I'm pretty entrepreneurial guy. <laughs> I want to, I want to understand more of that mindset before I get into that, the health and fitness element of it. Like, where did that come from? Where is that? Is that something you've always been, you always found yourself in the health and fitness or like, what is that? How does that story come about? Well, I think it's a combination of things. Uh, my mom and I growing up in the trailer, we didn't have like access to a lot of stuff, but my mom mm -hmm. knew like, like, like being physically active was important. And with limited resources, you know, we would do like hikes or, you know, we would get some something from a garage sale, like a piece of workout equipment that people were, you know, throwing away or something like that, right? Uh, so we would get that stuff and we'd drag it back. And 
so she was kind of like influential with like respect to just being active and and then my environment of being like just out and climbing and just doing whatever and you know having to get places i had to run to get places right like it wasn't like you know i didn't take a bus so if i want to go visit a friend in a concession line over like yeah you just ran right so i figured out really at an early age like i think i understood my i i say this and i don't i wish at some point i'm going to describe this in a way that is going to be like perfectly articulate maybe it's today <laughs> but i found out at a very early age i think like the power of understanding i could control my breath and mm. And I say that because now I, I practice, you know, a, a pretty strong amount of meditation and I do a lot mm. of like um, deep breathing drills. And mm. I, I, I think I knew early on that like I knew how to control my breath. So I'd run and I, I, I get, you know, you get winded and you get tired and you get scared when it's early in your, you know, you really don't right. understand it as a kid. Yeah. And I was able to figure that out some way. And it really became a tool for me that kind of got me through I think my whole life, I think it was a way for me to like be, I was undersized and it was a way for me to be confident in situations at school that, you know, I would get nervous if there's like a fight in the schoolyard or things would kind of go wrong and, and I get this tightness, but I knew what the tightness was. Like I, mm. so I was able to like take deep breaths and breathe. Right. And I think it may sound silly, but I really think it was like the foundation to like me understanding like that if I just could continue to learn how to like make this better and breathe yeah. better and really control my breath and control my physical state that, you know, I was generally happy and I was in a good place all the time. And, and I certainly wasn't growing up in an environment where I like, it would be easy to be happy. So, uh, you know, I, I, but I was, and, and I think I was able to align that to being physically active at a very early age and it just stuck. It just never disappeared and uh it's really been like a huge part of my success my entire life to be honest with you it's just that understanding of my physical being and that i could control how i felt and i, and I was somehow drew a lot of conclusions to that you know like that and, and i i would assume first of all that's just incredible that I, you know just being so self-aware of uh and being able to control that at such an early age and and uh, I want to hear more about sort of how that's kind of helped you in in sort of situations now uh, when you're kind of going through those anxious states. But um, I would I would assume that when you when you're in those situations, like your heart's beating and you're like, OK, I know how to control this. You're probably also making starting to make links about like what's actually happening, like physically, like what what systems are in play here? And like, did you find that there was that kind of discovery into like the human body as a result of that? Yeah there really was for me um yeah and i just kind of started you know develop like looking more right like okay well what happens mm -hmm. if i do tons of push-ups or you know what i mean if i do tons of squats or yeah. sit-ups or you know what i mean and then i wanted joe weeder weights because then i was like well, what happens when i lift weights right like right and it just became this place of like self-discovery you know and i just i it was like the way i was i just loved learning about it i guess just naturally right and i still do today i've been doing this career i just wrote an article for our website and i was i've been doing this career for 22 years now 22 years now and i like i have not woken up one day not excited to go to work 
<laughs> so and you feel like and and so do you feel like just that being able to control your breathing and being able to put use that as a way to push through things has really helped with that or I a hundred percent I do yeah yeah I, uh I I and now I know it to be true right like now it, I've, right. I've read research yeah. articles and you know, I mean yeah. now I know it's actually scientifically true yeah. uh yeah. then I was just a kid just just exploring and and for some and that's why I'm in this career today like I just love learning about like the human body and and it came very like natural to me I really do I really do love it I want to hear about how if and how you've incorporated that into rep performance um and your in your current venture but like now thinking about when you go into this entrepreneurial mindset and just that must be a hard thing, first of all, just to kind of put yourself out there. I always admire people who can just um, really take control and really put themselves out there and, and take those risks and go for what they want to um, work towards, especially on the business side of it, because I can imagine it's so competitive and cutthroat. But just walk me through kind of like, especially like that first business, but even just like you've now now had two other businesses on top of that. But that mindset, where how does that how does that come into play? I, I think it's again bred out of that early days of just um you know being influenced by physical activity because I had the ability early on to not I think it builds so much confidence in kids in anyone like not even kids like in any human being at all if you were to put them in a situation where they were nervous and then you were to take them and you were to put them into physical training and you know good sleeping habits and good nutritional habits for three months and then put them back in that same environment that they would they were scared of i guarantee you they will not approach it with, with the same mindset <laughs> they will go straight after it you know they, they're gonna they're gonna have the same emotions but they're not gonna not do it they're gonna do it and i think that you know having this physical kind of early understanding early desire to learn more about my physical state created so much like self-confidence um mm. and a desire to do more and you know and my my mom of course was huge so mm. you know i saw this woman you know go through everything you know mm. and never a day went by where uh i felt like poor hard done by or anything right so i mean i think that I'm a, I'm a product of that environment and and today I just feel like I can you know I can do anything and uh and it, and it might not be me uh, it'll but I know that if I have the right attitude and the right energy and the right you know my morals are in the right place then I can do it you know and I'll need teams and I'll need help and but I'm not scared to ask for that stuff like I'm not scared to ask for help so I'll just go get it, you know, and uh, that's how I've done all my businesses. I just went after it, you know. And are there are there situations that you find though that you are challenged by where you're like, I don't know if I can if I can do that or? Oh my god, then... yeah. Oh my god, okay. yeah. yeah. Like, there's been times in the in my last like this my most recent venture, the tech venture. Um, where, yeah, I was like, holy geez, like, I'm going to lose everything, <laughs> mm. you know? Uh, but, you know, you just kind of, 
write it out, take a couple of deep breaths. You know, you process where all this fear is coming from. And generally it's coming from like, you know, well, my, are my kids and wife still going to love me? And I'm like, well, yeah, of course they're still going to love me. Like fucking like, yeah. Like, are my friends going to love me? Yeah. They're going to love me. Like I'm not a bad human being. It just didn't work out. Right. Like I tried as hard as I could. So then you're like, okay, I tried as hard as I could. And now you're starting to open the door to thinking in the right direction. And all of a sudden opportunities come again. Ideas Mm -hmm. come again. Maybe if I tried it this way, maybe it would work. You know, now you've opened yourself up to, you know, pivoting or, you know, looking at it from a different lens. Um, You can't ignore the emotions, though. Like you can't ignore fear. That's just not smart. Um, But you they're there for a reason. They're there for a reason. I I, I learned a lot of that stuff from my wife. She's just been like the Mm. greatest partner ever uh, Mm. with respect to like making sure that I didn't bury things, Mm. you know, and like really be aware of if I was feeling scared or anxious and, you know, but, um, yeah, you just, I feel those things like everybody else. (laughs) Yeah. They said, I just take a deep breath and okay. (laughs) Am I going to be okay? Yeah, I'm going to be okay. Is it going to hurt? Yeah, Yeah, it's going to hurt, you know? Yeah. Then you start thinking in the right direction and ideas come. Is there, um, when you think about your, your kids and sort of like just having that mentality, um, what's, the, what do you, what do you, what have you kind of shared with your kids or, um, what kind of coaching or advice do you give them? Um, I, I tell the, I try, I mean, now they're like in the teenage years, you know, so they're, they're obviously yeah. way smarter than me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they totally are. So, so, uh, I try not to do too much now. I just try to yeah. like, you know, lead by example and, you know, they see me get up early and, you know, meditate and well, they don't see that cause they're sleeping, but you know, sometimes they, they see it and they, you know, they see me stretching doing yoga and they see me exercising. They see my daytime or they see the way I'm methodical about writing out my day and planning mm. each month. And I write my goals and like, mm. they see my system. Right. And so more now it's about them seeing the system that I have in place uh, than it is talking to them as much as I did when they were younger, right? Mm. About like, write it down, you know, you want to do it, write it down and share it with me, you know, like, and let's come up with a strategy and, you know, and, you know, eating right and stuff. It was a little bit, I was tighter when they were younger than I am now, right? Now I Mm. want them to start to make decisions and make mistakes and screw up because you can't really learn without those. So you got to go through all that stuff. I don't, I don't want to, I, I don't, I wouldn't qualify myself as hard cause I'm very, I'm not I'm very loving and nurturing, but I, I don't shelter them from failure. Mm. Like if they fail something at school because they, they, I'll remind them that the, the responsibility of school, but I let them fail though, you know? Because I want to see them deal with adversity. Because if you, adversity is like, you know, it's everywhere your whole entire life. And, you know, if you can't overcome things on your own, you know, and breathe and, and make this, you know what I mean? Like if you, you, yep, yep. you, you you're really going to be in a lot of anxiety for your entire life. <laughs> yeah. And the yeah. opposite to, I guess, what would be the opposite to anxiety, right? Um, resilience. Mm. And adversity builds resilience. 
Mm-hmm. So it, it's I now I kind of more along that lines, right? Like I'm I'm watching them and the, kind of letting them fail. <laughs> and see yeah, what they do. I, that's something that we're having a hard time with my four-year-old because she, um, and I don't know if it's just it's just a phase or something like that. She hates to lose. She's just like it's like this this even if it's something like snakes and ladders or the sense that she's just like, gonna lose. She just wants to throw up the whole board and just she just doesn't want that sort of negative feeling to hit her, right? Yeah. And I just want her. I we always just tell her like this is gonna be a part of life and. And, uh, you know, but she's four, I don't know how much of it registers, but, um, it, it, it's a little bit concerning for us about like how, <laughs> how is she going to work through this, but I'm sure she will. But, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's encouraging also to hear you say about, uh, you know, how you, they watch you through your system and, and they watch your habits and all that. Cause like my little girl, she'll join me like seven thirty in the morning when I'm in my gym downstairs in the basement and yeah. she'll watch me train and. And, uh, I always, I'm always hope that that will rub off on her in the future. I mean, if, if she wants to be physically active as well, but you hope those habits get built in. So it sounds like for your kids, at least some of that's wearing off. So, yeah, the product of environment Yeah. to a certain extent. Right. So, yeah, I just make sure the environments around them, that's positive environment. That's my job. Yeah. Like as, as their parent. I put an environment around them that's a good quality environment. Mm. Their job is to, you know, pay attention and learn from it and absorb it and build those, those, then this, build an understanding of how those systems impact you, the direction of your life, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's cool. Parenting's, well, it's a crazy task. It just feels like <laughs> a, it's, it feels like the ultimate leadership responsibility. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big task. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thinking about your sort of, so you, did you still train elite athletes or you kind of walked away from that and just focus on this tech venture or? No, I, I still do not, uh, as much. I still yeah. own, uh, like a large training company that operates yeah. in Sudbury and I have a team of strength coaches, kinesiologists and yeah. stuff that work with yeah. the clients and, I'm, I have passed, try to pass most of my wisdom and knowledge and stuff. I work more with the staff now than I do with the clients. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I have a portfolio of NHL clients that I do work with in the summer times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've made commitments to them for their careers and I'm going to stand by my word, right? So I'm going to yep. stick with those folks until their careers are done. And then I'll hang up the stopwatch. <laughs> <laughs> You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that'll just be weird, I think. Probably. For yeah, me. I always, I, I, I always tinker around. Yeah. You know, I love the gym, yeah. so I always tinker around, but not, not, not the same way that I did in the earlier parts of my career, for sure. Like, and I'm not as valuable in that way anymore either. Like, there's, I'm more valuable doing the things that I'm doing now because I'm creating more opportunities for more people. I'm creating more jobs. I'm, and I'm providing value to you know kids across the country and mm-hmm. teachers and like i'm more valuable doing what i'm doing now than i am that you know so there's much more value in me developing my team to do it than it is for me right now was you know? that a was that a hard shift in your mindset to make though oh yeah 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 that was hard i was scared to let go of uh doing as much training as i did 
you know mm. i was scared to let it go it took a lot of uh took a long time to trust the team but i realized mm. well if you're not trusting the team then you're not doing your job so mm. I'm, I'm not developing them as much as i should be so you know i i started to put more time into them and um and then you know you start to see that pay off and you start to realize like it's, everything's going to be fine without you and then you got to deal with everything's going to be fine without you because there's a whole other <laughs> basket of emotions yeah. right you're like yeah. you build this massive brand and then like it doesn't need you anymore so then you got to deal with that um it doesn't need you in the same ways it still needs you but not the same way so yeah i mean it's a big shift you know but my desire and thirst for learning and challenges really got got me like head over heels into the tech venture um and my passion for like health right like mm. and uh wanting to have an impact not just one-on-one -on -one as a strength coach but what if we could train a hundred thousand kids a day right like <laughs> so and uh and you lean so it was like well technology could probably help us with that right so that's mm -hmm. how uh and that's just feeding the same it's it's technology but just see, feeding the same passion i have every single day which is like to give more and more people the tools to be able to stay physically active for life that's, is that what the is that what the real drive behind uh rep performance was and am i saying is it rep performance or is it yeah yeah rep performance so is that really the drive behind that platform or it's it is i mean it's gone through lots of changes inside yeah. me you know like uh over the years, like it's pivoted and changed a lot, um, as a real true purpose kind of kept coming to the surface, mm. which really is, that's the drive, right? Is to, uh, you know, give kids the tools to be able to understand how to work out for life. Like that's, that's a skill set that I think has been, uh, I mean, there's some crazy stats out there, right? Like 96% of kids don't play sports after high school. And phys ed is traditionally a, a, a sport rotation, right? Um, so really, are we giving, are we equipping them to be healthy for life if 96% of them are not going to play sports after high school? Right. Right? The, if we're teaching them basketball, what are we doing that for? Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't, I don't think that's, and that's not phys ed's fault. I, I learned those games in school and, and it was great. I had fun. Um, because I was fit, <laughs> uh, not because I was good at them. I sucked right. at all of them. Right. So I got good at them fast because I was fit, mm. right? So, but, um, like, we learn math and reading and writing, and we learn these skills so we can be equipped to be, like, successful in adventures we take on in life, right? Um, so I think phys ed is shifting fast, right? Like, now there's personal fitness classes in every school across the country, um, and there's some school boards that are introducing that now in grade nine, like as the option for kids not to have to take phys ed and, but be able to take personal fitness class coming mm -hmm. out of grade eight into grade nine. And we have a school in Sweden that we work with, um, and they do it in grade five, like sports are not even a huge part because this, and what has happened is the amateur, the sports system outside of school has gotten so much better because yeah. they just took it out of the schools right and uh they just put in like orienteering swimming fitness uh life skills right like if you know how to navigate yourself through the woods if you ever got lost 
right? Know how yeah. to swim. So if you yeah. ever, so you can save your life swimming. Like, no out wilderness outdoor skills, right? Like, um, understand fitness, yoga, tai chi, meditation, breathing. Like, these are skills that you can do by yourself uh, in a state of survival, and you can do them for your entire life, pandemic or not. And I think that's that's obviously the direction FizEd's going, and and the issue is that's a very individualized experience, mm. right? Like our my training program, your training program, you know, uh, another person's training program, all have to look different in order for us to succeed at them. Mm. And as FizEd is shifting, right, in the right direction, it's very challenging for teachers to be able to individualize the experience with 36 kids in the room. Sports was great for that, right? Yep. 36 kids, there's going to be five kids that are great at, you know, each sport rotation and a bunch that are not and a bunch that are going to hate it. But it was easy to just corral them all into that as opposed to how do you corral them all into a fitness room and make sure they're all safe, make sure they have something that's appropriate, right? And Especially that's if what... these teachers don't have the capacity to be able to think on an individual level, right? So. Well, and, and how could you? I've been a yeah. strength coach for years. I worked at the university level, like even, and so did you. Like yeah. you have what? Uh, on your basketball team like what did you have maybe 18 on the roster yeah. like and how hard was it to create individualized programs for 18 yeah. of them it's yeah. tough right yeah. and you had one team right yeah like it, it's tough and you have them for an hour imagine four phys ed classes Absolutely. back to back that not not university students who are athletes who and probably who have been exposed to training yeah and are dedicated <laughs> to it right yeah and have probably been exposed to training to yeah. be there because yeah. i don't think you're that old yeah. so now put yourself in grade nine where maybe just the luck of the draw 85 percent of the kids that are there are only taking it because they have to so how do you influence them to be healthy for life mm. if they're only taking because they have to and they hate sports you teach them fitness but you got to make sure that you give them a pathway that's geared towards them because it's critical that they fall in love with it because it's their health you can learn all kinds of things in school um, you know, chemistry, physics, uh, geography, English, and those are great skills, but you may not use them in your profession, but your health is with you for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think it's the most important thing and I know how it's affected myself and I know how it's affected, you know, uh, leaders and business professionals I met in my life. I've been fortunate enough to, to meet and, you know, they all their health is critical because they need it in order to function at the level they function at. And, you know, I want those opportunities for every kid, no matter their demographic. I want them to have those skills. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you, so what I'm hearing is that what you saw from sort of traditional phys ed programs was, you know, you'd have these kids play different sports, but that sort of translation into what that means for their future health and fitness, that wasn't always very clear and how they're able to use you know, playing basketball for fun or playing volleyball for fun. They're doing that. But then in terms of what they take away from that and then move forward on with their life, that part seemed like it was missing. And is that something that rep performance is really trying to address or? Yeah. And, and, and I'm not like the pioneer of this, right? right. Like, like education, the education system is moving this way very quickly. Mm. Uh, we just saw the challenges that were being put upon the teachers, right? The ground troops yep. uh, as they're trying to move with the speed at which the curriculum is shifting and how they're trying and, and 
the barriers that they have to individualize that experience for kids. Mm. Uh, and so that's where we, we decided to kind of, you know, that's where we kind of aligned, right? That's where we match like, okay, well, we've got this platform that actually individualizes the experience for every student. Yeah. So, you know, and we just had to adapt it in order to be, to help the teacher, right? Cause it already helped the student. Mm. We just have to figure, we had to figure out in the early stages, how does it help the teacher? Right. Um, and then once we figured that out, then we started to, to scale. Mm. Um, so does your, so then your platform actually gives sort of individualized coaching and instructions for each of those students that's on the roster or. Yeah, it does. So, um, it, it uses like, uh, it uses an assessment based, right? So it's, mm. it's, uh, I prefer to call it like self-assessment. Mm. So it's, it, the students are able to create like their own assessment, uh, of choice and, and like go through that experience on their own. There's like video, teach them how to do the drills and they do them. Um, because assessment is something that builds the capacity for you later in life to be able to be the judge of whether something is right for you or not. Mm. And I, I think it's, it's been a, uh, like, you know, we, we thought it was standardized testing. We thought it was fitness testing and, and, you know, the history of fitness testing has shifted from the early nights, murky before the 1900s, mm. but after that, it's kind of starts to slowly take shape. Um, but you know, it was really kind of influenced, uh, I think it was by Krauss and Weber mm. in the 1946 because of the, uh, the research they had done on North American children versus European children. And it was at the beginning of the cold war and 56% of North American children had failed these six basic fitness tests and only 8% of European children did. So it caused a huge alarm, right? So fitness testing became kind of like a test and it became organized into uh, this, like the education system around the world. Really, it really started to kind of proliferate. And that was fine because I, that's what we knew kind of at the time, and that's okay. Uh, it wasn't coming from a, some ill place. It was like, okay, we got to make sure that we're safe and that these kids are safe if, you know, they ever had to go, God forbid, to go to war. Um, you know, they at least they were prepared physically right. enough to kind of, in a life or death situation, to be able to take care of themselves, right? Um, but it never really evolved anymore, mm. right? Like everything else has evolved the way we talk to one another, like inclusion, diversity, everything's evolved, but that kind of got stuck and it didn't really move forward. And it's a shame because it assessing is really this ability, like I'd mentioned for, for you to be able to understand, to be the judge of whether something's right for you or not. Mm -hmm. And in phys ed, you can kind of use a self-assessment for a student to be able to like, okay, I want to. I want to look and see how I'm doing at these things. And then you can give them a program. And what the assessment does is it allows the AI to build a program that's geared specifically to their needs, right? Now you've got something that they can succeed at, right? That still challenges them, but they can succeed at. And then as they go through it, it uses machine learning code to learn their behavior so it can regress or progress the activities based off how they're learning. And then they can reassess themselves and they can be the judge as to like what just happened. You know, why did this get better? Why did this not? Right. And now that's opening up a really great learning environment for the teacher to capitalize on because mm. the teacher now is in a place where I'm not. They're in the room with the student and now they're going to get high quality questions because when a student's asking high quality questions, 
you're winning as a teacher because now they're engaged yes, in the yeah, learning process. Yeah. They're in discovery, right? They're in discovery. You're, now you can bombard them, right? Well, this is why this got better and this didn't. And now you can teach them because they've told you they wanted to learn. They've asked for answers, you know? And the assessment loop allows that process to help. And, and it builds a positive feedback loop. It builds them the ability to understand like, well, I did these exercises and they made a difference, but I don't really care about that. I actually would, I'm more interested in this. So maybe change exercises, right? And, and see what that does. How does that affect your health? And now they're actually learning how to build a program, how it affects their health. They, and they're building these skills and they have them for life. And that's what the platform really does in a nutshell. Very cool. Did you, were you apprehensive about going this route in the sense of, I'm assuming that as a, as a trainer that you probably very much wanted to be very hands-on and, you know, it's important for strength conditioning coaches to offer those kind of physical cues, whether it be, you know, teaching something, a certain technique or whatever, like, was that sort of, did you have a hard time being like, I don't know if I can do this the way I exactly want to do this because this is how I kind of did it with my, at that elite level? Like, was there any apprehension that way? No. Okay. Cause it's different. It's a different, uh, different group. It's a different group. Yeah. Right. Like uh, I, I want the, the age groups that we focus on with our platform in North America, grades seven to 12. Uh, uh, I'm interested in those kids falling in love with moving. I do. I want them to move correctly. Yes, I do. Right. I mean, the platform is there. There's videos there to teach them the seven principal movement skills and that stuff's all there. Mm. Um, you know, am I there? No, I'm not. But if my platform is a tool that is makes a teacher's job incredibly fun, then now I've unlocked their potential to be with the student. Right. Right. To talk to them, to share cues, to right. do that stuff. If they if their job is overwhelming and not fun, then they can't do that stuff because mm. they're doing other things. So the platform delivers that. Here's the environment to make your job wicked because we're going to look after all of this so you don't have to. Now you can invest all of that positive education, time, energy you have in the students into these things, mm. right? Into So I think that's where the partnership comes, right? Like, I mean, I'm sure each tech founder has its own interesting spot where like, because tech obviously creates a separation between you and the customer. Yeah. So that's the that's where I think your innovation has to be great, right? Is it has to it has to unlock the potential in your customer to be better. Yeah. Right. And and that's what our goal is with our platform. It's it's it is the same goal every day, right? How can we make it better? Right. I mean, you said something interesting. Every time we make it better, we make the teacher's life better. Yeah. You said something interesting. Ahead, no, no, that's okay. Yeah. You said something really interesting, and that is uh, about um, you wanted to get these kids to move, and of course, you want them to get you want to get them to move correctly. And so, like, there's you know, you have the videos, you have the training, all that. But I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, just getting them to move that's huge, right? Like, I mean, obviously, if you can get them to move perfectly in the way you want them to, you know, I'm assuming I, I don't I don't know all your seven principal moves. I could probably guess them, but um, <laughs> but but obviously they're they're foundational probably for a lot of just day to day activities and everything that we do beyond just playing sports, right? And so you want to be able to 
have them do that correctly. But if they're starting at a place of where they're not even interested in physical activity and you're actually able to move the goalposts where you can get them there, that's a massive win. So, so I guess I was, I was, I, I just wondered, cause for me, like I'm, a, I'm a, like the corrective movement piece is huge for me. And so I'm like, I don't know if I could, but, uh, I think just, yeah, if you could inspire and get people to move, that's, uh, that's a huge win. Yeah. And, and when you're inspiring them and they're having fun and they're engaged, yeah. then they're going to be more open to learning how to do things, you know, correctly and, you know, with proper form and so, and techniques. So I think you have to start there and you have to understand your audience, right? Like, or like, go back to the stats, right? Like, what are the stats? Uh, 96% I think don't play sports past high school. Uh, only 1% play competitively past high school. Mm. And the 1% that make it to college university, it's less than 1% that play on past that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I'm concerned with everybody doing everything right and correctly, 100%. But I also am aware of my audience. I am yeah. aware that I want them to be engaged and learn and be enjoy so that they actually open up the willingness to do it properly yeah you know yeah. and and knowing that there's not an expectation on them to be a certain thing it's an expectation on i guess i don't have an expectation on students or the next generation of our youth to be perfect my expectation is that they understand the value yeah. of their own health yeah. that's the expectation i have of them yes yeah right yeah like that so yeah don't have to move perfect yeah yeah no that makes total sense uh, the tech platform itself like you're not are you a techie like how did like how did this come about like i mean no. like that's it you talk about machi applying machine learning and and all this stuff like that's uh where do you even start with that oh my god uh like and, all and, over and, the and place. that did that kind of hold you back at all be like oh i have this vision but i don't know where the fuck to start on this you know like <laughs> yeah um and i just you know again not being afraid so i reached out for help and mm. uh, i contacted this guy that was actually a he was a a sports psychologist and he did all of our he was our mental strength coach okay and my team yep. and in Sudbury, it's a small city there's not full-time there's not a full-time position in that career here right like he can't do that so he had taken on a part-time job at another uh, institution, Collège Boreal, and his role was to merge private business with uh, um, uh, postgrads in research opportunities. So I had said, I reached out to him and I'm like, hey, I got this idea, like, um, and I need, like, I need some help. Like, I don't, I don't understand anything about computers. So he hooked me up with a young gentleman who uh, is still with me today. And uh, he's our head developer, and he was just coming out of school, and this is like a legit, true, crazy <laughs> startup story, man. Like, and he was just coming out of school, and it was just the two of us, and I was like, this is kind of what I want to do, and and we started kind of building it, and I was, you know, I just in the beginning I was funding the whole thing myself, right? Like yeah. I was just, and um, and just trying to figure it out, and it was crazy. We were like 
in the car we were driving to like northern ontario so i imagine like all provinces is very like it's spread out right yeah, yeah. so like we were like drive to new lisker to try to get a coach to try it in a local gym with some students and like it wouldn't work and like it was insane we drive and drive to new lisker from Sudbury's like two and a half yeah. hours and now we would have to do it after work yeah so we'd leave at like six and then meet and then we get back at like 12 and yeah. we'd have to get up at like five i'd have to get up at five go yeah. to work like yeah. the early days were insane like insane and uh trying to get people to try it and use it and and we wanted to be there right we wanted to see what went wrong like we want to see mm -hmm. the customer use it and, and and figure out what was going wrong so um yeah it was a crazy experience and then you know you just kind of slowly recruit people into the team as it, it grew mm -hmm. you know yeah you kind of you break apart and I mean, break apart, you break a person. You're like, okay, I can't, I can't do any more. Like we, we need another human. Yeah. Uh, so then you bring another human in, right? And uh, like now we're eight full-time staff and, uh, and we'll be growing again this summer, bringing more in and. How many years has it, just it been? Just keeps going. It's eight. We started kind of like beta stuff in 2017. Okay. Like really just kind of like trying to get beta and then uh research you could call it mm. this you know and then trying to formulate idea concept beta product things and then uh um then we really got some headway and then we slowed down we took some our foot off the gas for about a year while we waited for some patent filing we have two patents in the u.s and two in canada mm. um and then we put your foot back on the gas again in 2019. Uh, really got things going pretty good. Uh, and then COVID hit. And that kind of was, mm. you know, post posted its own challenges. Oh. Um, and then, and in some ways, actually, it was great for us. And then um, it kind of actually during COVID, it kind of started to take off, actually. Mm. And uh, and then it just started a rocket ship. And uh and now it's like this, you know, roller coaster ride we're all on, and and uh, everyone in the team is just such cool, great, unique people. And and I I'm a firm believer in, and like, I like development. Obviously, being a strength mm -hmm. coach, like I love development. So whether it be uh, physical or human development, I love it. So I like young people getting them in early, like really getting them to fall in love with the culture and like what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And I probably have made mistakes as is CEO leader of the company by not going out and getting, you know, crazy, you know, experienced, awesome people that have proven track records. Um, and I think that's a fault I've made at, at times for sure. Uh, but I, I really love fit you know, and I really love teamwork and I've valued fit over uh, skills at times in order to make sure that our working environment is wicked, you know, and uh, and we have that. I'm, I'm very fortunate to say we do have a really wicked working environment. I love all of these. I call them kids. I love them all like yeah. they're my kids. And uh, and I I. And, and I think that's important for me, it's been important. Like it's not for everybody, but for me, it's been important because that 
part really fuels my that helps that's the juice for me to really push even harder mm-hmm. than I push now because now I want to just drape all these guys in success yeah. like I want all their dreams to come true yeah. and uh and I'm not sure I don't think those emotions would be real you know if I maybe followed the uh the money side too fast you know um so and I and they and I think they feel it Right, for sure, they and it makes them passionate about what they're doing and and focusing on what's right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's hard. You have to have, you know, patient investors and investors, and that's why having the right investors is critical because you have to have the ones that understand your mission mm-hmm. and they have to believe in it. Um, so, and and I'm fortunate enough that I've been able to find some of those to come along with me on the ride. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a there's a lot to it, there's a lot to it, especially when you want to do something big, you know, not growing like I own companies in Sudbury. Yeah. I mean, those are they're great, and I'm grateful for them, and they're they're wonderful livelihoods, but they're not big, mm. <laughs> you know, like this is big. Yeah. So you know, if you want to do something big, it's a it's a completely different game. There's a lot of there's a lot to it. Well, I was gonna ask you. I mean, that I was you got into, it, and I was gonna ask you about sort of your leadership approach because I mean. You said you you want to train for some time and that's going to kind of continue but i mean this is like a it's you've had a few companies but you know this is something that's really moving and so i wanted to i was curious about your leadership approach but you talked about like the whole fit piece and there's a lot of research to show that like if you look at uh you know one element of that is trust right and if you you could have somebody who is a really high performer but if you can't trust them and they have they don't have that quality within them they're dishonest it's actually better to take somebody who's kind of a low performer and somebody you can trust it's a better fit for the overall team there's lots of research to show that so it's interesting that you that you look at fit but is there um is there something that you're kind of uncovering or where you feel like you're working at from a leadership perspective that you uh are recognizing maybe as a gap or or something that you had your blinders towards maybe oh yeah totally uh like to delegate more that's a hard one like yeah i'm not i'm not super good at at delegating um because like i just love what i do so is it from the control perspective or just purely the love piece i think i think it's i'm i've been getting better at it the last like half a year yeah uh specifically i've been working on it like the last three months um but i I think it's probably a i'd be ignorant to say it's probably not a blend of Mm -hmm. both I, I think it can't be that. I think it, of course, I think it's a control thing. Um, and, but it's also just a, like a love thing because like I, I am the, the one that will like do more and like, I'll do it all. So like, uh, but I got to resist that. Not because I, I can't do it all because I'm not being a good leader. And I, I've, that's the hard part I've had to learn is that like y- you, you're not going to develop this these kids that you love so much to their to their capacity if you don't like push the boundaries for them like I did for the athletes. For sure. Like I got the athletes to the top because I wasn't afraid to push the boundaries mm-hmm. of what they could do, right? And I'm holding back my staff from getting to the top by not pushing the mm-hmm. boundaries of what they can do. And and I, I haven't that's probably the best way I've ever said it so far. That's That'll probably good. help yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> um, so, 
and I haven't been necessarily great at that. I haven't adjusted well at that, so I'm looking forward to becoming better and better and better at that, you know, and understanding it's okay, right? And if they need my help, that's why I'm here, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, if I push the boundaries and, and they need, they come to me and they're like, okay, I need some help, then I'm like, okay, great, right? Like, boom, right here. So is it is it resources? Is it another person? What is it me? Like, what is it, right? So I can't be afraid of that. For sure. Do you find yourself like how much focus do you um, spend on sort of creating that safe environment for them? Because, I mean, especially if you're talking about some of these kids who are coming out of school and you're taking them on, that probably would be very difficult for them to kind of challenge you on things or, or kind of tell you what they need. I would think. Yeah, I th I don't know if if I struggle with them telling me what they need. I don't think that's one that I've I've run mm -hmm. into. I, I'm I'm sure it's there, but it's not one that I have. Um, but I, I think it's more of like knowing that it's okay to, to challenge yeah. them, yeah. you know, from, from my side. And, and if I, I, I think they know how much I care about them. So they're able to talk to me about anything, right. Like they're able to say like, Hey, that was too much or so. And I just have to trust yeah. that because I know how we, how I feel about them. So why would. Why would I not? I, I don't have anything to be afraid yeah, of. No, that's, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I'm looking at the time and I just want to, we usually have a couple of questions that we always ask our guests, if that's okay. Um, the, is it okay if we pivot sure. to those or some of these are kind of get to know you a little bit more? Even though, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so first one is um, yeah. <laughs> a five for dinner question. Dead or alive, who are five people that you would want to have a meal with? Um, and be curious if you would have them kind of together in one big meal or individually. And, and Kyle, the other nobody has added sort of what would you serve them? And if you had thought about what kind of uh, meal you would have with them, I guess. Okay, well, right off the hop, uh, my nanny passed away uh, years ago. I would love to have her because she was a really cool influence for me uh for some teenage years and uh and she was she'd just be great to have uh to have back to have a, a meal with and for that matter my opa on uh, the other side yeah. um he would be great to have back too because he was this great influence in my life younger and i didn't in my teenage years i didn't get to sp i didn't spend as much time with him so it'd be really nice to see him and just tell him like like i did i did mm. notice the things that he taught me you know like and i and i and i do think it's a huge part of the way my brain mm. thinks we didn't even get into that but like so those two right off the top um i would say uh there's a guy who has a podcast that i've been hooked on for the last year and a bit this guy dr andrew huberman okay. uh really intelligent incredibly bright man he's a neurobiologist um, I, I would love to have, uh, him for dinner. I wouldn't have him with my, uh, <laughs> grandparents, mind you, I would have him kind of, uh, I would like to have him for dinner with probably like Jordan Peterson. Okay. I'd like to have those two for yep. dinner. Uh, just be a cerebral, and have a conversation. cerebral as hell. That kind of conversation. It'd just be a yeah. cerebral yeah. blast. Yeah, yeah. It'd be wicked. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so I'd love that because I really love to kind of. I wouldn't say study that mm -hmm. stuff, but I definitely dive a lot into that into that stuff. Um, 
So I'd like to have those two, uh, my nanny, my opa, and a fifth. Uh, ah, just a night with my yeah. wife. Hey, she made, she made the list, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. A, a night with my wife. Yeah. Like just, uh, and I would have dinner with my wife and I'd, we'd go out somewhere. Uh, so we didn't have to cook or clean because, you know, you're, you're, you're cohabitating, yeah. right? So you don't want to yeah. do that all yeah. the time. That's, so I want to, so go out somewhere. I, it doesn't really matter where, anywhere. It's all great with her. She's great company. Um, and then my nanny and papa, I'd like to make them dinner. Cool. You know, I got a big green egg, like a, you know, for a barbecue mm-hmm. in the backyard. So I like to make them something cool, like maybe some probably de- like cut my, I like to cut my own meat. So I'd cut some some steaks and uh probably do some probably do some like roasted tomato mm. and broccoli and stuff you know uh and a little oil sauce or something on the grill and then have dinner with them and just shoot the breeze and then the other two uh i made these burgers before they're crazy it's like you roll up a, a, a ball of meat and you take a cold beer can you push it into the center okay. of it and then you fold the meat up, and then you slowly slide the beer out, and then you crack an egg inside it. You make like a like a beer yeah. can cuppy, yeah. you know, like a you know those things yeah, you stick yeah, your beer cans yeah. in. I don't know what yeah. they're called. Um, so and then you take the beer can out, and you crack an egg inside it, right? And then you cover the top in cheese, and I I bake them in the barbecue. They're just r- ridiculous hamburgers. So I'd make those, and uh, with like probably a bottle of red wine and uh like an amaroni or something and we i would sit and have like a cerebral night with those guys in my backyard i got a pretty sweet backyard so i would have huberman and peterson i gotta i gotta create i gotta create a clip for you and then tag them somehow and then there's your dinner because i feel like that sounds awesome man you're not gonna turn that down yeah that's exactly what i would do uh yep that's that's how i'd roll that out it's a tough question though it's a really good one though Thanks. i've never been asked that one before i've been on lots of podcasts i've never been asked that one i i we've had so many different answers and i find it it's a it's a it kind of <laughs> reveals a little bit about the kind of person you are um i've seen some uh, uh i've done it with friends and then i can kind of pick across like from those five i'd be like okay this is what it tells me about you and generally it's kind of accurate so it's an entertaining question and people have enjoyed it so i'm glad that uh that you were able to roll with it you have a little bit of german in you is that why you say opa or no uh yeah he's ukrainian Ukrainian, actually yeah 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 and uh and then my nanny is from france my oma is from holland and then uh so my nanny and papa Mm. so my nanny's from france my papa's a canadian Mm. and then my oma and opa were uh ukrainian Mm. and dutch yeah it was all that time, that time in history, everyone's kind of mixed around and stuff, right? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, they were meeting during the yeah. war. Yeah. Uh, my wife's uh, uh, maternal grandparents were there during the war. They were German, but um, uh, her, or her Omi, or I guess Oma, but Omi is kind of more of the village term, I guess. But uh, she was from Hungary, yeah. right? But yeah, just everyone kind of got mixed around there. So, yeah. Um, last question. Besides the circle of life, what do you know for sure? Hmm. What do I know for sure? Yeah, I gave you this question ahead of time, so. (laughs) I would say, uh, what do I know for sure? I know for sure that 
you can trying to find a way to like eloquently say this and not ramble on it's been a a a lesson that i think um for me has been really critical in being successful and happy but i think what i know for sure is that silence provides you the ultimate truth that you need to hear and you just need to make time for it and i know that to be true in every scenario i've ever placed it in it's only ever given me the truth so and i think in today's time with how busy we are and what's going on in the world and our ability to find out about it at such a rapid speed it's really difficult for people to get into that silence and allow what uh, is comes naturally to them as thoughts because some of them might be scary or they make make you feel vulnerable um i know that those though are are truth for you uh so and you got to embrace them and 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 i know that to be true yeah it's interesting eh? when you sit in silence and you just absorb it it's just like yeah those uh, just something starts to come out right let's just and if you in being able to acknowledge that like you said could be very uncomfortable very scary and for a lot of people um but uh you're probably right there's a lot of truth with that interesting i like that um Callan, really nice talking to you man it was a good 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 thing to get great getting to know you um great to hear about sort of your mindset and your history and how you kind of um you know how you just evolved to uh as a strength conditioning coach but also uh, just at this as this founder and CEO of, of this uh, latest tech venture and appreciate you reaching out and we'll put all of Colin's information in the show notes and the description and uh, where you can access him and all that. But just appreciate your time today and and hopefully you enjoyed your time uh, in our conversation as much as I had and and uh, look forward to maybe connecting in the future. I, I very much loved it. It was great. Thank you very much. You put a great smile on my face and just a great time chatting with you. You made it just wonderful. Thanks, so. Alan. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, man. All right, everyone. That's a wrap. We'll see you next episode. Thanks. Bye.